Hello, and welcome to the Ecological Sensibilities Project, a podcast where we explore the different ways people think and feel about the environment. Throughout this series, I'll be talking to a variety of people from different backgrounds, seeking to get a sense of the ways in which they interrelate with the natural world, as well as trying to pick up from them how that relationship might have changed over the course of their lives. Although throughout the series we'll be discussing with individuals how they think and feel about the environment, the project itself is rooted in a wider sociological approach that seeks to understand how these thoughts and feelings are themselves shaped and generated by the vastly different contexts within which human individuals live their lives. As we listen to each conversation, therefore, the challenge is not just to appreciate the expression of a unique point of view, but rather to tune in to the wider social and historical forces that make such a view possible. The world is changing, and so are people's thoughts and feelings about the environment. The Ecological Sensibilities Project seeks to dip in and take a litmus test of these kind of movements. So I live in Hailsham, which is a small town getting bigger, uh, just north of Eastbourne. In today's episode, I'm talking to Charlie Peverett, who lives in the south of England. We live in an end of terrace house right in the middle of town, but we previously lived in uh, a village called Furl, which was uh, not, not far from Lewis, and we lived there for 10 years, and we lived in a couple of other villages before that. Charlie describes himself as a lifelong bird enthusiast. I begin by asking him about an initiative which he set up in the spring of 2020. Yes, I'm uh, starting to realise that lots of people had made had new ventures sort of about <laughs> you know, February, March 2020. Um, so sort of the beginning of, of the pandemic. For me, the thing that I sort of realised I suddenly had room to do and a sort of desire to do was uh, to, well, to hear birdsong. Yeah, so I'm a lifelong bird watcher and yeah. have spent, you know, a, a lot of hours out listening to birds, looking for birds, um, and sometimes sort of teaching other people as well how to do that, having been taught myself when I was at school. Um and during the lockdowns, I, as, I, as I said, I'm currently living in, a, in the middle of a town. Yeah. You know, there are birds around, but, you know, they're, they're the town birds, really. They're not uh, the birds of the, the downland or the woods. And during that initial period where we didn't have the opportunity to go out to all those places that you normally would in the spring, yes. um, I realised that I wanted to hear, I wanted to hear those birds by any means so okay. um, yeah so I set up a, 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 a free call in the mornings for people who wanted to sort of just you know phone in from wherever they were on zoom and just share the sounds of the birds where they were which I could do you know on my exercise walk you yeah know, around town um, and other people could do from wherever they were so it was as much about you wanting to hear birds singing in other places and and other more rural places than than your own in in mm. one sense was it was it about that as yeah. well yeah yeah so you know very uh i say uh, 
reciprocal. You know, yeah. I, I knew that um, I could probably help other people identify what birds they could hear. Yeah. But likewise, I'd get to hear those birds. You know. And yes. Get, and, and I was fascinated as to what what people would would be bringing to these calls if I put the the call out, as it were, the the invitation out. What would yeah. people actually be? Um, you know, be tuning into. So yeah. yes, it was a very, uh, very much based on. I'd like to hear a turtle dove, yeah. if anyone's got one, or a cuckoo, or uh, a willow warbler, or, or something that, that I, you know, identify with. Yeah, spring. So mm. I, I want to come back to that in a minute to, to hearing more about what kind of emerged, and then you know, the as I as far as I understand, the Birdsong Academy kind of emerged out of that lockdown experience and those those zoom uh, calls but I just want to go back um, and I'm interested to know whether um, the kinds of ways that you think and feel about the environment today um, have kind of always been there with you from from childhood you mentioned that you've been a bird watcher for many many years and you mentioned learning to you know identify bird songs and when you when you were a child, so can you tell me a little bit about um, your childhood, growing up? Have you always been environmentally conscious in that kind of way, or hmm. were you unusual? For, were you different from other children of your age? Uh, you know, where does it where does it all come from, really? Hmm. Well, I grew up in Kent in a small village, and we had countryside all around us. It's on the Greensand Ridge, so it, it's where a lot of um, fruit growing goes on because it's mm. south-facing. Um, so there were lots of orchards. And um, this was, I get. so I was born in 1975. So, yeah, mid-80s, I, I guess yeah. I had the run of, you know, as we did at that time, the run of the place. Um, my best friend was uh, lived on a farm we spent a lot of time on on his farm yeah um mainly throwing apples at each other and uh doing things that you later find out from public uh you know i remember watching a program all the things you shouldn't do on a farm you know it's terrifying you do all those things yeah um don't fall in the slurry pit okay Didn't yes do that. um but you know sliding down hay bales and things and i guess i did have a very you know i had a very rural um of childhood yes um and his actually my best friend tom his uh his granny bought us membership of the young ornithologists club which was the the sort of youth wing of the rspb okay um and i'm not sure what i presume we, we must have both been interested enough for her to do yeah. that <laughs> but we would only have been about eight i think okay um and Yes, I remember getting the little book which showed you what birds you might hope to see in Britain. Yeah. And I I was I guess I'd always been interested in yeah, bugs and things and you know, uh, collecting things in jars and mm -hmm. spent a lot of time in the garden looking under rocks and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And then birds seemed like well that's the next level, you know, thing and again if we found birds, injured birds, we had house martins nesting in the eaves and starlings and things I we were very interested in you know if we found a baby bird you know what we would do with it and all that yes. kind of stuff and then I think the farm as well you know that the farm was full of you know uh, 
you know, cattle and chickens and dogs. And I just, it was just part of the, you know, the whole, there was nothing particularly unusual in our kind of, uh, in that village of, a, yeah. you know, children being interested in being outside and being with animals. Yeah. I think it was a little bit later on that it just, um, it turned into something a bit more um, obsessive for me. Okay. And it did be, I think it's fair to say it's obsessive. Um, I went to a new school. Uh, I joined a, a, a little prep school when I was nine, um, which I um, I wasn't very happy about at the time. I'd been in okay. a very happy in a primary school nearby, yeah. but my mum and dad decided that uh, this would be good. This would be a good thing for me, and so I went to this uh, day school, um, and. There was a teacher there who taught who taught birds. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Find that on the curriculum. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so um, not in the usual teaching times, but he basically ran a club. Okay. And he ran a club, and it was more than just you know, oh, an hour on a lunchtime. We'll we'll have a thing, you know, talk about birds. It was we'll get in the minibus on a Saturday and spend the whole day. Wow. Going out to the North Kent Marshes or Dungeness or Stodmarsh or okay. wherever else. Yes. And there were holidays, you know, we'd go to Scotland in the wow. summer holidays for a week or Norfolk. Um, and the, from the first trip out, I remember my first month there at that school, there was a trip to, to Dungeness and Rye Harbour. And um, it was just like... I, I absolutely loved every bit of it. You okay. Know? And even though the other older children, as I would have been nine, mm. the older children um, were saying, one or two of them were saying, oh, it's been a bit disappointing today. You know, we haven't really seen that much, you know, no rare things. Yes. You know, but we had seen all these amazing things, thing, amazing to me. Yeah. Uh, birds, um, you know, ducks that I'd never heard of before, waders. Um, little birds, tiny things that I would no, have no idea what they were. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then at the very end of the day, we did find a rare bird. We we, we lucked onto okay. a pretty rare bird, and and my uh, the teacher was you know he was kind of over the moon about right. it. I can still remember the little yeah. noise he made. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> what noise did he make? Wait, he just went yeah. Um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, I think everything about that, I just thought that's just the best way to spend a day. I can't think of anything better. And um, yeah, I mean, that was just a stroke of luck, really, I guess, to have been, you know, had the opportunity to to, to then, you know, go on and, yeah, you know, do, uh, you know, do lots of um, trips with, you know, with, this, with, with the other kids. Yeah. And then also sort of do more, so sort of, you know, once you sort of realised that I was pretty keen, you know, there would also be extra things like, you know, there's a rare bird turned up the other side of town. Right. Maybe he would literally just take a few of us to go and see that okay. as well. Okay. And then I started to sort of walk on, you know, around where I lived and apply the, you know, the knowledge. And, yes. And start to work out what was, what was around me. Um, and it sounds like that there was quite a group. I mean, there's, the, there's quite a group of children who were in, interested in similar kind of thing. I mean, sounds like the teacher had gathered. Was it was it a large group or a small group? Or is it, it was a large group. It was a large group, a surprisingly yeah. Surprisingly large okay. group. I mean, 
it was a small school, tiny school, yeah. and uh, I, I, my my recollection is there were at least as many people in the bird club as there were in the rugby squad. Okay. So, which made it safe to be a bird watcher. Yeah. Right? Because actually, we were. I yeah. mean, you know, many of us were in the same. You know, you, uh, uh, I was playing rugby at that point, so right. it, you know, it, it, it was fine to be a nerd. Yeah, uh, it, there wasn't a, there wasn't a problem uh, being a bird watcher in that, um, and that's quite a sort of you know a golden period, isn't it? I'm realizing that, mm. you know, and then seeing my own daughter, my, my 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 children pass through that age. My youngest daughter is eleven now, and um, you know, there's a period just a little bit after that. It, it seems to be in around twelve or thirteen. Yeah. And actually, at that point, many you know, we we all went to different schools because it only went up to thirteen that school, um, and many of my friends uh, didn't continue. Okay, there was no bird club, you know. Yeah. But they didn't continue to sort of go out and do uh, bird birding. Yes. Um, and there was just a very few of us, I think, who 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 were sort of so, you know, we were committed by that point. Yeah. And how did that then? continue at the point that you changed schools how, how did you could did you continue to go birding with others the others from the group was that how was that facilitated yeah so way? I became a, a you know like a junior leader okay so I could keep in contact with I kept going back uh, to the school my old school and well not, not necessarily much to the school itself but out on the trips with the yeah. younger kids okay. and became you know one of the semi-responsible adult young adults um on those holidays and um and yeah and then I guess I and I, I did meet one or two other people um when I moved to my to the next school who were who were interested enough that they would you know go out on a weekend or after school and, and see things but my overriding actually memory is really going out a lot on my own at that mm. point I had the freedom you know I had a dog um, we, we got a dog and uh, the dog needed walking and I needed birds and you know we just spent a lot of time going places you know where we could you know, on the bus or just walking around the village yes. and started to map out really where all these where all these birds were yeah and that became my yeah that became a sort of a, a through line I guess the sort of patch you know what's on my patch what can I find Yes, I um, I started to sort of get really excited by the sort of the possibility of what you might find if you just go out. The, you know, well, why not have a look? Let's just see. And most of the time, you don't find anything <laughs> yeah. that, that you're not expecting to. But just occasionally, something will happen that will make you feel like you know, yeah, wow, that was you know, I was in the right place, and I knew what you know how to identify that osprey flying over just at that moment it would only mm. been viewable for a minute or two as it came over migrating to mm. you know particularly in the mid 80s when there weren't really that many around um or yeah to, to find where a turtle dove's nesting or something like that so it's part of the appeal that sense that you are that you're going out not knowing quite what you're going to discover and you may discover something that's a real treasure um as you're as you're out and about how much is that a part of the the appeal big part of it <laughs> okay. yeah big part of it um i i i don't know what comes first or what came first i, I really would have thought about that quite a bit mm. is it the appreciation to the sheer 
appreciation of the creature that you've seen that you can look at and yeah. spend as much time with as you know as you have time for um or that it lets you because it might be there for a moment and then go how much is it just that because obviously that is there for all bird birders you know you yeah you you know just wow look at that isn't that an amazing thing and yeah from that certainly from that um that first trip i kind of got the bug for the new thing yeah you know that the novel you know well that's unusual so yeah that's a you know in birding parlance it's a tick if you okay. see a bird that you've never yes. seen before it's a tick um, but then you can start to apply that to different contexts yeah. so you might say well i've seen one of those in spain yeah but i've never seen one in sussex so that's yes. now a, a tick on my my british list yeah right? yeah all on my patch you know, something that's very common on the coast might be vanishingly rare You're in, in the middle of landlocked camps. Yeah. And so that becomes a tick. Right, yeah. And there are numbers attached to that, mm -hmm. which quite appealed to me, I mm -hmm. think. Um, what number are you on? What have you got? Each time you go out, you can count up the number of different species. Yes. And I still do that. Yeah. You know, I still yeah. do that. Um, so, yeah, I think think that that rapidly uh that 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 co-appeared yeah sure <laughs> you know sure. with the with the, the, the obviously the interest that, that that's suddenly focusing down onto birds from yeah. having been quite you know just generally interested in in wildlife and, and animals yeah yeah because uh, i suppose the um the the second thing that you're describing there of the kind of pleasure of you know that tick of ticking off i suppose that that kind of pleasure could be um, in, enjoyed with many different things. It needn't just be birds. In fact, it needn't just be anything to do with the natural world. There mm. could be that same kind of pleasure, which I guess people get, you know, when they do have a kind of idea of a, a list of things that they may potentially see. They go out and they're able to tick, tick off that they've seen that particular thing. Mm. Um, so do you recognise that, um, well, you obviously recognise that in yourself. Do you think it's a, I suppose it's not something that's common to everyone, is it? That, that kind of, um, the appeal of that in some sense. But there are definitely people in different parts of society for whom mm. that's, that forms a real pleasure. Does that make mm. sense? Yes, yeah, yes, it does. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it was, it was, yeah, it was enough to see me through those years where it was deeply unfashionable to be yeah. into birds. And I'm not talking about an era particularly because I'm yeah. not sure about that. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know enough about whether it really, you know, was easier in the 90s or yeah. worse in the 90s. You know. Yeah. But in terms of my age, yeah. going, becoming sort of 13, 14, 15 okay. and much more self-conscious... It was enough for me uh, to, you know, and I was quite, I think, aware of, you know, wanting to change lots about myself at that point, you know, mm. um, you know, trying to fit in or trying to be, trying yeah. to be cool. Yeah. And, and, but I never dropped the birdie. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. would have been, frankly, a good idea from the, you know, if, if we were counting up call points. Yeah. Yeah. As well as birds. Um, I, 
don't think you get cool points. Do you? <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, I think probably dropping the birding might have might have might have been a good idea. But yeah, for me, I was you know I was deep in yeah. at that point. And yeah, in terms of the the, the sort of the, the 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 sort of the obsessiveness about it. Um, yeah, I guess that is it. It is something that's that's very strong in in some people mm. Uh, mm. Uh, some people and not so much in others mm. um, there's something about it's interesting just thinking I've never hadn't thought about this before but just your question made me think about the way that designers use the kind of ticking things off and mm. uh, the, the little dopamine hits yeah when they're creating uh, experiences and software yes you know which is now quite a big conversation about what the ethical okay <laughs> you know context is here for, for getting people addicted yes to, to to content or to software um and so obviously mm. these are very strong you know um currents I yes guess, uh, that we can yeah uh, uh, harness you know yeah um and we could we, we can take advantage of yeah um so there's a there's a light side and there's a dark side potentially to to that um as it could be manipulated and into, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is what I, I know. I think I, I think I, I sort of realised that fairly on, but that's fairly early in my sort of um, in my life. But it has always been, and something I found interesting is what's the what's the right relationship between that urge to find the new thing yeah uh find the strange thing yeah. you know um versus versus actually appreciating what is normal yeah and what is common and i think that um obviously that changes over time because there are birds that were very common and normal when i was growing up yeah that are now very rare Yes, you know, and that's I'm only, I'm 47. Yeah, so it's not a lot. It's quite a long time ago, but it's not that we're talking about a span of 35 years. Yeah, there were birds in my garden, you know, in Kent, which I'm pretty sure are not going. I haven't been back there. My parents don't live there anymore, but I haven't been back there lately. But I'm pretty sure they're not there now. You know, yeah, those species won't be won't be there now, and um, I think. You know, maybe when you're when you when you have less of a sense of time, uh, less of a sense of um, history, you know, you can think about things as being mm. a long way away from you. You know, mm. like that's not relevant. I mean, growing up, I'm thinking of the things. Did I think that things that happened in the seventies had anything to do with me? No. Mm. You know, <laughs> in the eighties, I was just thinking about what's happening now. And how how old I'd be when the the twenty first century happened, you know? Yes. I wasn't thinking about all of the things that had happened in the very recent history, um, which includes quite a lot of extinctions. Yeah. And there were you know a number of birds that I I remember we we learnt about you know, you know as being the sort of the stories of you know um, uh, how fragile nature is if humans make the wrong decisions yeah. or mistakes yeah. or whatever and that we'd lost the redback shrike from britain already we'd lost the wryneck yeah we'd lost the kentish plover which would have been breeding in kent you know, yeah back in i don't know maybe the 60s still 
and uh, I thought of all those things as like, ah, oh, well, we that was these are all these mistakes that had been made, but we won't that won't happen again, sure, because I'm learning about them as mistakes, right? Yeah, and we're a rational, um, progressive, you know, civilization that's moving forward. Yeah, and I had a. I think, uh, I, yeah, I think I just a sense that those things might be behind us, even though, you know, there were lots of campaigns to save this and that. And, um, you know, I just felt at that point that we couldn't possibly keep making those mistakes again because we recognise them. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think differently now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Sadly. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah, it struck me, actually, we'll, we'll come to talking about this in a bit, because I looking at your website and and um, just the whole issue of really the sadness of not of not kind of, you know, hearing certain birds or seeing certain birds that were around or common. And then there's a couple of things that you write on, on the website that I thought that struck me in that kind of that kind of way. Um, but let me just continue to to just explore a little bit more the kind of move through perhaps as you moved on from your teenage years into your 20s into a kind of adulthood so you went through that phase where in a sense you were negotiating how other people saw you with your own interests you know and and that sense of cool or you know <laughs> but maintaining your kind of love of 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 birding and kind of practice of that um, so how did that then continue through your late teenage years and into your 20s or did it continue then in, in that kind of way? Yeah, it did. Um, um, I think the thread got a little thinner probably in my early 20s, but, but I, am, I actually did get to the point where I was in other areas of my life, I was a bit... Um, I was quite dissatisfied and um, I think wanted a bit of a break, a clean break from, you know, I grew up in a small village, you know, quite a small community. I, I think I was sort of feeling a bit oppressed <laughs> by that. Yeah. And um, and for me, yeah, being able to, to, to go away to university was like a, a big opportunity. I chose, well, I, you know, I, I had an offer um, from Exeter, I had two offers. I had Exeter or Goldsmiths. Yeah, Goldsmiths in the middle of London, Exeter in the middle of Devon, yeah. <laughs> um, to study drama and English. And I, um, I went to Exeter, uh, and I chose the hall that I went to live in in that first year on the basis that it was the same name as a forest, <laughs> which had honey buzzards. Uh, oh wow! Breeding in it that I was quite looking forward to seeing while in Devon. Um, so I'd say that was probably still some quite strong, uh, you know, ecological or certainly bird or bird related reasons to, yeah. to, to, to not be in a town, uh, yeah. not be in a big town and to be somewhere close to, to, to nature. Uh, but also I changed my name at that point. Everyone knew me as Ben growing okay. up. Uh, but going to Exeter and not knowing anyone, uh, I thought, well, this is this is an opportunity. I. I tried it out. I'd been on a five-month. Um, I've been travelling around Britain. I did the coast of uh, the coast of Britain, so I started in Kent. Wow. So my year out, I spent five months going up to the Orkneys and then back down the west coast 
to Land's End and yes. then back along the south coast before I went to university. And I had tried it out, tried it out then, introducing myself as Charlie instead of Ben. Yeah. And there aren't many opportunities in your life to introduce yourself <laughs> right, as yeah. completely different without yeah. people saying, that's a bit pretentious. What are you doing? <laughs> so I quite enjoyed that. And, uh, and then, I, yeah, I took the decision that I would go for that at university. And I've been known by anyone who gets to know me since I was 19. Yes. I've been known as, uh, as Charlie. And, and the reason that I mention it uh, uh, is because I also, I, I think my ecological sensibilities shifted quite a lot at that point mm. and it's interesting because I don't remember being a very I was obviously obviously the birds were inter- important all the way through and I had this sense of like you know justice for you know for for for, for wild creatures you know and and, mm. and just you know that biodiversity probably not a word I would have used at the time was important nature's important you know it's important to me it's really something I spend a lot of time you know doing uh, you know uh, being outside but I didn't really mm. connect it with taking action for the environment very much that mm. was very very low on my agenda and I, th- I think I was probably doing quite a lot of environmentally you know sort of not particularly helpful things but when I went to university I don't know what it was but um yeah there was a switch of my name and then uh the opportunity to just to just to sort of re you know hit you know refresh really mm-hmm. um and I, so I joined the student union as the environment officer there. Mm. And I was the environment officer on the student union for three years, the whole oh. three years I was there. Okay. And I, and that, you know, I got, I don't know, yes, sort of, you know, and that was for me an opportunity to get into campaigning, um, to get into, you know, how do you change like policy, literally yes. the student union. I mean, it's such a, yeah, they're, 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 you know, it's, it's a very small um, kind of uh, landscape to work with, isn't it? A student union at a university, but you know, you can have tangible impacts on, Absolutely. you know, pro- you know w- what gets sold in, yeah. in, in in the bar or in the cafes. You know, um, you know, where there might be opportunities to do renewables or recycling differently, and all of that kind of stuff. Yes. And so I got really stuck into that, and probably spent a little bit more time on that than I ought to have done uh, whilst I was studying. Um, but yeah, that that sort of then that shifted my sense of who I, who I was. You know? Yes, um, I'm I'm someone who's, you know, who, who's who's, I'm I'm a you know an eco campaigner. Or, yeah, or, you know, I'm an activist and and. Uh, you you began to feel that for yourself during that time that you were those things. Yeah, I yeah. certainly yes, yes, and I'd and I presented myself that way. Shaved, yes, shaved my head. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and and started being rude about people who weren't ecologically uh, <laughs> pure enough. Yeah, sure, <laughs> you know? judgy. Yes, a little bit judgy. Quite enjoyed that. I'm the hero here, everyone. And of course, very easy to do that, you know, because I'm not a very in-your-face person. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, generally, I'm quite introverted, and I, uh, I, you know, um, but somewhere like Exeter, which was, I don't know what it's like now, but certainly at the time was thought of as the Green Welly Brigade, you know. Yeah. Uh, we had the Sloan Rangers. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they're still a thing. Yeah, it, I, I think Exeter is popular amongst, yeah, yeah. You know, public school. Yeah, yeah. 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 And um, so, you know, it was very easy to be uh, kind of like countercultural there. Sure. Um, literally, if you just, just took your hair off, that was, that was one <laughs> way of doing it. But certainly if you start going on about, you know, 
green policies or animal rights yeah. or invasion of Iraq, you know, which was, you know, yeah. at that point, the sort of the, the early stages of that whole saga was happening. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, you know, I, again, I, I think I, I built an identity for myself around that point. Yeah. Um, while still bird watching, you know. That was going to be my question, really. That, did that continue through your university? I mean, I would be surprised if it didn't, but... But it yeah, it went, there. it went. Actually, was yeah, yeah, it was great. It was again. It's a you know. I mean, I really, I really enjoyed my university time. I met my partner there. Okay. Um, and I loved studying drama, particularly because I got to spend, you know, three years pretty much in karate pants and black t-shirt, <laughs> jumping around, yeah. padded room, um, <laughs> you know, and 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 just really having a, a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. And obviously studying very seriously <laughs> yeah, as yeah. well. Um, so I had a, you know, I had a really social, uh, kind of really, you know, I had a really enjoyable, you know, great, a really lovely group of friends. Um, and and I knew I could also just take myself off and literally walk to the yeah. edge of town. And there was some, there was a valley, the X Valley, I think. Um, you know, and there was a place where you could see things that at the time were really new to me, having grown up in Kent. Mm. Um, the idea that you could just walk down the road and see a little egret, right. which was pretty new to Britain at that point, and they were sort yeah. of populating the southwest. Okay. Um, now they're dead common, you know, in Sussex, and see them. you might see them even flying past the beach here at Brighton. Yeah. But um, that point for me, I could see little egrets and uh, buzzards, Again, buzzards have been wiped out on the east side of Britain. Yes. You know, plenty of buzzards in Devon. Um, and peregrine falcons and, and and snipe and, you know, all sorts of just nice, interesting birds to see. And, and uh, yeah, I met a couple of people. It wasn't a very social birding time particularly. There was one, one chap, he and I used to go out sometimes together. Um, but it was, a yeah, for me it was it was a... It was on tap, really. You know, yeah. Again, it's, yeah. You know, didn't have a car, so just being able to take a train, take a bus, and see loads of Avocet on the X estuary. Yeah. Um, was it was brilliant. Yeah. I'm going to flick forwards to a question I was going to ask a little bit later, but I'm going to ask it now because I think it seems appropriate, and it's about the basically about the relationship between. Um, being more politically active, so political kind of activism, which you've mentioned is something that came in at that stage in your life. Um, and the relationship between that and actually being out in nature and kind of connecting with ecology, whether it's birds or, or, or whatever. Because you mentioned again on your um, website, it says of you, which I'm presuming that you you wrote. So Charlie, um, Charlie believes that connecting with nature can help us to feel better in our lives, and that can give us the resilience we need to take on the climate challenge. Um, and I wondered if you just wanted to speak to that a little a little bit. I mean, I don't know whether you mentioned those sort of. Uh, early days of kind of activism at university and whether those were kind of um, challenging or exhausting or whether they were invigorating I don't really know but how those two things perhaps relate the more activist side which is seeking to change policy 
alongside this very um, kind of immersive uh, experience of actually getting out and you know being amongst trees and grasses and meadows and and you know hearing birdsong and stuff. Mm. Um, how's that kind of played out, or have those things kind of played out in your life in a certain way? I I think those were quite separate for me mm. at that point. Just thinking, just yeah, thinking back mm. to that point of the you know activism and and then almost like uh, oh, this is my pastime. You know, this is my mm. hobby to go out and. And obviously, you know, I must have seen some connection, but I didn't feel, I don't feel that those were very integrated. Mm. Mm. Um, and I don't know why that is. I don't know why yeah. that is, but I'm, I'm conscious that as time has elapsed, I am much more aware of the connections between the the small, the experiential, mm. um, the thing you can do now here, the mm. being present. I mean, you know, I guess the whole um, sensibility around um, mental health and, and, and mindfulness is also, yeah. I think that's not something I was very, I had friends that meditated Mm. And they and I would just put that in a box, you know, back in university. I was like, they're lovely people, and that's what they need to do. <laughs> I didn't do any of that stuff. Yeah. And I think, you know, over the last ten or so years, I've become much more uh, aware of, you know, these sort of practices. And why am I saying that's relevant? Because I think I used to think that, you know activism and um existed in a sort of separate yeah place to you know the way you are with people most of the time okay. it's almost like a a thing you step into yes and it has these specific aims and then you and actually i think you know looking back i'm pretty sure you know i wouldn't have liked to have been in the room with me <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. Just yeah. thinking about. Yeah. I. I mean, I might be a bit harsh on myself, but I suspect there were quite a few occasions where I was definitely on my high horse around sure. some of the issues. Yeah. And uh, and I and I think that where I am now, I'm. I definitely still get on my high horse, uh, and I'm. You know, there's lots of areas of my life where I'm. You know, very very conflicted about what I. You know how I how I behave versus what I believe so, mm. you know, could be a good way of behaving. But I'm, I'm much less convinced that, um, you know, change is something that happens in this very specific uh, realm, you know. Um, realm of? Of what? activity. Yeah, or, okay. Yeah, you know, that it's a box that you put things, you know. Um, I'm... And might feel we're in a time. I was saying this may be very, very much in the bubble, you know. So I'm, you know, I don't know how how widespread this feeling is, but you know, it is okay to talk about needing some time in nature now. You can mm. go for a walk, you know, um, you know, go 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 somewhere where there are trees, to do you do yourself a bit of good, mm -hmm. you know. 
Mm. I think, you know, I always knew that growing, growing up, you know, going for a walk, my dad would say, should we go for a walk? You know, going for a walk was always a good thing. I always felt better for going for a walk. Yeah. I understood that. But it wasn't, it, it was, it wasn't sort of, um, I don't think we talked about it, you know, in yeah. the way that I would, you know, hear yeah. people speaking about, um, you know, connection with nature now. Yes. Um, yeah. And, um. I suppose back then as well, there wasn't the kind of language of mental health and things like that as well. No. Your dad wouldn't necessarily have talked to you in those kind of terms no. back, in, back in those days. Um, no, yeah. I think there was, it was a probably bit, but there was probably a bit more of just go out, you know, go outside and, you know, you walk it off. Yeah. You know, yeah. Get, you breath know, of fresh air. Yeah, breath of fresh air, blow yeah. away the cobwebs, all this <laughs> yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Yeah, so I, yeah. but also I think that, that without that grounding of, you know, how are you when you are with a person, mm. you know, just right now or with an, or with an animal, mm-hmm. like your beautiful dog here, um, or with other creatures, you know, how, without that kind of grounding of, well, that, is, that is who you are, you yeah. know, right? right. And, and I think the the sort of trying to separating that because it can be convenient to separate well this is work and this is you know activism and this is i'm resting now yeah or i'm enjoying myself now you know if you if you separate those realms to um uh, zealously yeah you know i think it can be really easy to, to sort of miss sure. <laughs> the point yeah and, uh, and i suppose that you know uh ways of thinking which uh, which which foreground that sort of um, presence and that sense of you know you, you know what happens um, where you are yeah. with the people that you are with is that's what's kind of you know that's what, what that's the ground that's the ground you're yeah. working with um, in a world where there is a lot of um, you know uh, information not mm. all of which can be trusted mm. you know. Um, I think there's something about now I look back and I say, well, you know, it's easy for me to sort of feel distrustful of how I felt about something. Mm-hmm. You know, did I really think that? Did I really feel that? Were there that, you know, was um, was life really easier then? Was it harder? Mm. All that sort of stuff mm. I find very difficult to be mm. um, um, sure about. Okay, yeah. But I can, I can look at my book I can look at my notes, yeah, or or the book of some you know someone else has written about the birds that were there, you know, uh, versus the things I see now, and that tells a story that mm. I think has a a grounding mm. that um, I trust. Mm. Yeah, so almost like a more scientific kind of like looking at data in in one sense, the kind of empirical evidence of birds present or absent or diminishing or increasing and mm. is that the kind of thing that you're yeah not as about? yeah yeah no, almost as like a rope to right. pull on it's not the thing it's not you know i'm not I, you know empirical data is the only yeah so it's, it's a way of getting to the truth yeah which is then bigger than that yeah does, does that make yeah i think that's how i want to describe it yeah it's like a um, when I'm tempted to, you know, and I definitely have that kind of capacity to sort of be a bit kind of uh, 
broad brush about stuff. Stuff was terrible then, and it's brilliant, and it's going to be yes. this or that. And I think that the sort of yeah, to be able to pull on the but this is the tr- there's a truth here that mm. you know I think everyone can see is mm-hmm. you know is there, and um, yeah, for me. Mm. It's, it pulls me back, especially in conversations, you know, where it's tricky for because people, you know, will pull push back on, you know, claims about, you know, mm. what's going to happen mm-hmm. um, or how bad things are. You know, I mean, I think things are most days I'm things like things are pretty bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. Things are pretty bad. And at the same time, you know, they're great, you know, for, mm-hmm. for me and you know, a lot of mm-hmm. people I know, you know. It, it, it's that it's holding that balance can be really tricky yeah and we, we talked i think before you hit the hit record, the record button, button yeah. about the you know that you know is the, the sort of the, the optimism and the and and the, and the pessimism yeah or some would say realism <laughs> you know it's not they're, they're not they're not it's a false dichotomy you mm. know um they're states which you know are sort of related to to, to one another but um yeah that sort of um for me i'm trying to if i try and put it into the point of why i feel that there's a kind of um a grounding to listening to birds or to being aware of the birds around you yeah. is because it encompasses the both the both of those things okay you know the more aware you are the more pleasure i yes. think you know you can get from something whether you're in the middle of hove and you can hear a blackbird or a pied yeah. wagtail. There was a pied wagtail on your road as you walk down. Okay. You know, um, you can hear that flying over the building. You know, you are connected with things, and yes. and 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 you know, it's nice to know that there's the, that they're there. And it might be also slightly painful to know that, um, you know, out on the downs, there are only a few skylarks where yes. they used to be abundant. Yeah. Where the people in the the Victorian times used to trap wheat ears by the net load and sell yeah. them off to London more than you can imagine, you know, right. it's like well, there's, there are none. There are none. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yes. Um, uh, so, yeah, I think that's what I'm right. My my ramble. I think that's where I arrive at. I think it's something in the you know the 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 the, the story that is, or the the data. Um, can can be both mm. a, a, a way of feeling kind of just 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 connected to what's happening now and grateful for those things being here now, mm. as well as um, that reminder or the or the just the, the the evidence that things are have been heading in the wrong direction. Yes, and, and that something needs to change. So from again from what I understand of what you 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 do. There's there, there and and from what you've mentioned so far, there's kind of two two aspects in or two aspects I want to pick up on is is that um, you describe yourself as a bird surveyor, is that right? So so that's like counting, is yeah, that right? Okay. Yeah. So so the number thing, you know, counting is it bird surveyor, but you also um, run the Birdsong Academy, which may be a bit about counting but seems to be more a kind of leading people into the more experiential side of being able to you know, walk through the woods and to recognise a particular bird song mm. and to change their kind of um, sensibilities, 
in one yeah. sense. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, there was a quote, again, a quote that I took from your... Is it Duncan? It's Duncan, <laughs> Duncan Green, which I just thought was a great, great quote. I'll just, um, I'll just read it here. Um, discovering an aural soundscape. I think that's the right pronunciation, mm. is it? Aural. Mm. Um, discovering an aural soundscape changed the way I move through different habitats. In woodland, I no longer look and get frustrated. I listen. So, and that's somebody who's a participant in your Birdsong Essentials mm. um, course last last year. Mm. Um, so, so there seems a kind of um, you know, there's a kind of pedagogy there of of transforming somebody's sensibilities so that they actually inhabit and move through the world in a different, slightly different kind of way, mm. and in this case, becoming more aware to the sounds and how the landscape, that soundscape is formed in a particular way. Yeah, that's, and that's been really, I, I found that I've learned a lot just over the last couple of years um, from the response to, yeah, what is it that people most value about it? Because I started mm. with a, actually I started with, if you take my course, you'll learn how to identify 50 species of birds. It's way too many, my friend Ben said. Okay. You sure fifty? I was like, yeah, let's go for fifty. Whoa, whoa, whoa! It's too many. <laughs> yeah, you know, it takes you years to learn that many. But uh, I created fifty lessons or thereabouts to try that, um, and then realised that actually that wasn't that was a bit you know it was a bit heavy, and 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 I still market it as uh, yeah. twenty five. Up, you know, learn, learn how to to learn what you need to know to identify twenty five birds. So it's not guaranteeing that you'll be able to just do it. Okay off the bat but it's giving you the know-how that you can then practice with and take on and yeah because I I have a sense that I'm not alone there are people who for whom that appeals like how many birds you know that when you first come to it you might be how many birds will I learn yeah you know, am, am I going to get my money's worth okay you know yeah is this a, you know and there is a u- utility to to having a number on it yeah uh, and it does frame aspects of the course you know we move some number of species each week each you know through the spring but at, you know that's not what people talk about at yeah. the end of the course um, and often or often through the course you know um there are there is a sense of and the people describe it as opening a door mm. uh, i've heard it described as that several times um by people independently, they've used that metaphor. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't think I've led them in that. <laughs> I mean, there might be a, a lesson somewhere where I say it's a bit like opening a door, <laughs> isn't it? You know, feed the so, idea. You know, in. Hands up, maybe. Yeah. I, but I've heard people certainly say that to me um, that it's like, uh, yeah, just 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 like you know, having a new. I say it's not a sense of it's a sensibility. It's, it's having your senses kind of focused in a way which Mm. is just very different from how they've experienced it before and you know that for me is what you know I can't switch off my nerdy bird brain so there will be times there have been times I've been in the middle of meetings you know and I've heard something and I've felt very very compelled to go and look out the window sometimes that's been fine other times not so fine (laughs) you know but that sense of you know, just like it's 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 a it's there now, and I can't. I have to sort of respond to it. It's very very 
very difficult not to respond. Yes. Especially if it's something rare, you know, I really yeah. would struggle to, yeah. to contain myself. Um, <laughs> and, and so there is something, it's just something you've sort of, you, you, it's like a muscle, whether it's a muscle or I think different ways of describing what it is, but it's something you develop mm. by atten- through attention mm. and through some knowledge. Yes. Uh, but it's the focus, the attention, the social aspect of it makes quite a big difference in the course. This is not stuff that people are doing on their own yeah. or not purely on their own. They're, they're joining calls and talking to other people about what's working for them and what's, what their experiences have been. So there is a sort of a social um, yeah. component or aspect to it. But yes, the things that people value about it is that um, I, now, I now experience differently. Yes. I have a different experience. And the thing that Duncan says in that, um, which I'm very grateful for him uh, having said that, uh, because actually, yes, I'd, ne- I'd not really thought about that before, but that sort of, you know, uh, the thing of listening is that it's such a different yeah. capacity to, to seeing. Yeah. Um, the way that I sometimes sell this to people as a useful, you know, my utility mode is that the better you know what birds sound like, the more birds you'll see. Yes. Because there are birds treating them all over the place. Once you know what's slightly different, you could say, oh, hang on, what's that? And then you swivel your head yeah. and you use your feet to go closer and then perhaps, you, perhaps you'll see something you've not seen before because yeah. you, your ear picked up that there was something different about that bird. And that's yeah. a much, much more um, efficient way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go back to the, it's a very efficient way of finding unusual um, encounters Yeah. rather than our rather pathetic vision, Yeah. which is making that primary and, yeah, and relying you, on you, can, you can hear yeah. 360 degrees, you can, you, know, you can hear in all directions. You can only see, you can only focus in a, in a very small yes. um, uh, segment. So I think, yeah, then of course you start thinking, well, maybe that's actually, do you even need to see the bird? And that's where he gets to, you know. Yeah. Why is the, why is the <clears throat> sight the, the thing that needs to be had? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was what came across to me, is this idea of, uh, I, didn't, I, I didn't quite read it right to start with, but in Woodland I no longer look and get frustrated. In other words, there's a frustration which emerges out of trying to see things and re- you know, relying on th- your sight as the primary mode of mm. attending or investigating the world. And in this shift to I listen, you know, and making that the primary thing. And that, as you say, then the implications of that is that you need to see, you know, once you are walking through and inhabiting the woods, in a listening mode, attentive mm. to the sounds that are surrounding you, mm. you know, what does seeing add to 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 that? I mean, you know, maybe, mm. maybe it does, it does, it does, it doesn't. You know, you may, mm. but um, yeah, I thought that was fascinating. Really, mm. that change in somebody's sensibility. Um, I strongly suspect, because I don't trust my memory enough, that twenty-five or thirty years ago. If I'd only heard the bird, I might be quite frustrated. Mm. And I'm and, and actually you still see on bird notes quite often there's a um your heard only is a kind of classic thing. Oh okay. heard only. See what you're saying there to another person, and typically another birder is yeah, you know, I didn't see it, so 
it could, I mean, and of course, you can know, you take it off? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some people feel very strongly right. that unless you have seen it, you can't take it off. There's some birds that are very, very difficult to see, and you're, right. it'd be very difficult to take them off if you if you rely on having to um, clap your eyes on them. Um, but now, I've never seen a corncrake. Okay. You know, they make a very specific noise, and unless there was someone sat in that uh, field on that island off the west coast of Scotland <laughs> with a tape machine playing, you know. <laughs> There could have been, uh, you know, then I have, I've heard a corncrake. I've recorded yeah. a corncrake and yeah. I've ticked it, you know, but I've never yeah. seen one. Right. Yeah. And that's, I think at the time I was quite frustrated and I, I wonder if I, I would matter to me at all now. Yeah. Because I quite frequently get very, very happy with the bird that I've heard and don't feel the need to go and, and, and uh, you know track it down by track sight. Yeah. yeah, yeah, really interesting. So tell me a little bit more. So we've kind of come round to talking about the Bird Song Essentials course, which is kind of, is a 10, 10 week? 10 weeks. 10 week course. So tell me a little bit more about how the Bird Song Academy emerged out of this kind of lockdown time. If we can just go back to that and, and you know, you were connecting with other people over Zoom um, really to share the bird song that people were experiencing in their local areas, share mm. that kind of collaboratively together. Mm. How did that then morph into what became the Birdsong Academy? Well, uh, I guess, I, so we, I, I don't know how many, we were doing three a week at the beginning of the, the pandemic of these call, early morning calls. We, we, we pretty much dawn, I think we said so very early in the morning. Um, and I suppose I felt, I actually, if I'm, I think I, I fell into quite quickly, you know, this is my, um, you know, I've got a role here because I do know what the sentiment. There were some other, we had sometimes some very uh, other good birders on the call, mm. but usually I was probably best placed to say what something was, you know, okay. uh, for people who didn't know what's around them. I suppose I, I suppose I, so it became, uh, you know, I'll identify the birds that people can hear if they don't already know them. And then, um, and I quite enjoy that role, you know, yeah. try not to get too identified with it because, um, uh, gets a bit dull, doesn't it, uh, <laughs> for others? Um, but um, yeah, I could see that people would really did get something out of now know it. Now I know what that is, and I yeah. can go and look it up, and I might, you know, find out more about that bird and what else it needs. Maybe what it eats. Maybe what yes. other things I could grow in the garden to encourage more of them. All that kind of stuff sort of flows yeah. from the identification, even though the identification is a small thing. Um, and then a few people started saying. Um, you know, do you, you know, do you do this as a sort of structured, you know, do, is this anything more structured than yeah. what, whatever we hear on the call? Because obviously that can be very varied depending on who arrives and what the weather's like and whatever. So if you're teaching birdsong, and I've done it in a very ad hoc way before, leading a bird walk, you know, yeah. um, you do that physically, you do that you know, with people, and I couldn't really imagine how you'd do it um, through zoom or through yes. a digital platform and i suppose we all learned very quickly that you can do a surprising amount it's not always quite as mm. good it's not always sometimes it's a bit much uh, to be staring at a screen for so many hours a day but you can do a lot and even you know with a sport or perhaps especially with sound um you can do it in quite a sort of uh, 
you can be quite creative. It doesn't yeah. have to be people in front of a screen. It could be people out on a walk with their phone. Right. Um, so that just kind of, I suppose, made sense that maybe there was an opportunity to do something that's, um, yeah, that's actually going to build on that yeah. idea that people do want to know what's around them and that it could be something quite enjoyable to do, even if you can't be out physically with yes. those other people. Yeah. Um, that's that's that, that was the kind of, okay, that's maybe that's worth a go. And the, the idea of the course is that you um, can introduce people who may be complete beginners, is that mm-hmm. right, to, you know, to being able to identify, to be able to hear, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, to kind of tune into, um, yeah, 25 different birds mm. potentially mm. but you know the idea is 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 for beginners so it's really the question is that, is that yeah right? yeah yeah i mean <laughs> some people come to the course sort of saying i don't know you know i know cuckoo you yeah. know and i've never actually heard one but i've i know what it sounds like or or uh, oh, i know what the you know sparrows sound like and and that's it or the, the herring gulls <laughs> yes um other people know a bit or they, they did know you know, they, they know some, they, you know, 10 or 15 birds, you know, so it's not always, there's, there is a range of, you know, experience that people yeah. come to it with. But yes, I suppose um, uh, for a lot of people it is from, you know, from virtually nothing. Um, and some of those really common birds, they're quite tricky, mm. you know, if you don't, mm. if you're not, you know, it's easy, it's easy when you know the answer, right? That old, yeah, yeah. That old thing. But actually... How do you describe a robin? What a robin sounds like, yeah. or a dunnock, yeah, uh, or a song thrush. You know, they're not. It's not like cuckoo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, they they are complex, uh, fascinating, mm. varied songs. Yeah. So, and actually, we use technology um, uh, in a way that again, I was slightly, I probably would have been really sniffy about a couple of years okay. ago. As part of the course, people, uh, I do actually tell people about apps that you can download. They're free. There's a fantastic one called BirdNet from the Cornell Lab of, the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, uh, I think it is. Um, they've produced this app where you just record a bit of song. It's okay. like Shazam for birds. Yeah. Right? So you record a bit of, of, of a bird sound and it'll often, if you're in the right place in the world where it's got the data sets, it'll tell you what that bird is. Right, yeah. You know, and uh, I... Um, I, I had to make a decision quite early on about how I felt about these things in a way because mm. part of me, there's a part of me which is all quite ego and quite like, oh no, I don't want to be usurped by a bit of uh, software yeah. here, you know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I don't think it's very good. And of course it is very good you know, yeah. uh, for some things. It's really good. I mean, and yeah. of course it could be part of the toolkit that you use. Yeah. Um, you know, when yeah. you go out, it's not a replacement or it doesn't have to be a replacement for a lot of the things that people get. Yeah, perhaps it reflects the two different sides of things that we've been talking about through the conversation really is that the, the computers would be very good at identifying and counting things, but you're not really seeking to introduce a computer to experiencing the world differently, like in the same way that potentially you are and that you can only do with human beings. And, mm. you know, I mean, not just human beings, but with mm. sentient creatures, um, mm. you know, to essentially like, you know, change their sensibility to experience the world in a different kind of way. So maybe the, the computers can be left to the 
to the counting. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and we work with humans to potentially change, you know, their sensibilities to be more sensitive to, you know, they're moving through the world and inhabiting it in particular ways. Yeah. That's, yeah, I, I, th- I think that's, that's it, yeah, where's the, the human dimension or where's the, the, where's the, the, the alive kind yeah. of dimension yeah you know and it's it's in yeah um i'm i'm i've having made that shift and again it i can almost pinpoint when it was it was sort of midway through the first course when someone asked me about apps and i had to sort of make that kind of like yeah what do i you know am i where do you position yourself yeah in it? yeah yeah and i had this you know i had this internal dialogue <laughs> and especially coming from the sort of background that i've got which can be quite you know um, you know, PR. I don't do PR, but I work in that world where there's a whole. Oh, how do you know? How do you spin this? How do you? How do you get the best out of? How do you sort of you know, steer people away from your competitors? You know, mm. which is what marketing mm. you know can be about as well. And I had that horrible feeling of like, oh, I'm, is this what I'm supposed to do? Am I supposed to be massaging this somehow so that mm. I'm the authority? You know, mm-hmm. and it was really freeing when I kind of like recognised that happening and could go right now. This is this is nonsense. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I do not want to start going in that direction. And actually I need to use these apps, find out what they're good at. Yeah. And recommend them for the right reason for the right things and, yeah. and, and, and engage with it. And actually the more I, you know, see what the possibilities are, there's always that layer on to, to whatever the app comes up with, whatever the software can do, there's always that so therefore what can we do? Yes. What what do we get out of that that technology? Um, and one of the kind of things, you know, for example, which I find fascinating, I don't do it myself, but uh, I have, uh, that sounds weird, the introduction. I don't do this myself, <laughs> but I have friends who do. So <laughs> it's called knock-migging. Okay. It's called nocturnal migration, which is short for nocturnal migration. This is where you set up, um, you can do it, you can do... Oh, what's called naked knock migging okay even weirder which is literally <laughs> going outside yeah. you know in the dark yeah and listening for birds as they fly overhead you know okay. which you can do in hove you can do yeah. in the middle of you know the night anywhere when it's when it's quiet yeah. and when birds quite often at the right time of year you know are, are flying over okay. and making a sound that you might be able to recognize yeah. fascinating but the um the the the, the big sort of change has been that people are using recorders to um, just sticking you know a microphone you know out during the night recording the whole night hours and eight hours or whatever yeah and then again using software to sort through it wow and find bird sounds and then I did probably identifying them manually or if then not going (laughs) out and and then you know you've got crazy stuff people finding the most ridiculous birds that we didn't think even did migrate over land you know yeah um, being picked up in the middle of Cambridgeshire or you know, or in the middle of London, yes. because we now have, you know, a way of picking them up. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, amazing. So know. there's a whole potential of, of um, kind of, you know, that developing to, to generate even better data about which birds are where and where they're migrating and how and, and all of those kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not really up <laughs> on the latest developments, but I mean, I am hearing quite a bit about uh, yeah, the implications for surveying, for example. Yeah. So if you've got uh, a remote area where, you know, camera trap, we were used to seeing pick camera traps picking up a very rare, you know, like a snow leopard, yeah. you know, somewhere in Mongolia or whatever. But, you know, for, for you know, <laughs> just 
places that are tricky to get to or where there isn't the you know um, there aren't people around um, the idea of having a microphone you know in place yeah um, and just being able to sort of model well how many yeah how many how many of this species can we hear um, over time that can yeah be absolutely incredible information yeah. The last kind of questions that I wanted to ask really was talking about um, just to have a, a brief conversation about specific birds, actually. Mm. Um, <laughs> and, Great. And again, I thought you might like this. <laughs> I was looking on your website and I I basically listened to the six different birds that you've that you've got. And there's an opportunity to listen to their bird song. And then you've given some description of the, the, the bird song below and, and just some information. So there was a, a couple of things, or two or three things, which I thought was really, really interesting. Um, I thought the comparison between uh, the great tit and Kevin in Home Alone <laughs> was fascinating. I was pleased with that one. Yeah, that was good. That was very good. Um, so can you just explain what that is, what is what happens there what the great tit um, mm. does and why why is the great tit similar to Kevin and Home Alone? Mm. Well, so great tits are notorious for making all kinds of weird noises and really yeah confusing people who yeah. can hear the noise but can't see the bird. Um, and there was a study done in in some woodland in Oxford and. The theory, uh, the, the hypothesis that they, they tested was that um, the birds might be making uh, a wide variety of sounds in order to persuade uh, other great tits or other territorial birds yeah. that the place is full of stuff <laughs> and they shouldn't bother trying to set up territory there, <laughs> which is... I think pretty close pretty. to Kevin, Kevin McAllister. Yeah, Kevin McAllister's tactic in Home Alone, where he appears to populate his house yeah. with moving figures and shadows and music and things, so that the thieves don't uh, bother trying to break in. The other one, well, one of the other ones I wanted to ask you about was the Dunnock. You mentioned there that the Dunnock used to be thought of well or has been used particularly by the Reverend Frederick Morris. <laughs> Poor old Reverend Morris. Reverend Morris um, used the Dunnock to illustrate particularly particular characteristics of mm. human behaviour, which he valued. Mm. Um, but in fact, his theories were perhaps a little misapplied mis to the Dunnock. Mm. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, so I think this is an example of uh, seeing what you want to see okay. in nature, certainly, and, and, and also a little knowledge is a dangerous thing, right? So, yeah. yes, Reverend Morris uh, wrote, I think it was in his sermon, uh, about how we should take, his parishioners should take example from the sort of propriety of the dunnock, because the dunnock is a, it's a, it's a rather dowdy bird. It's sort of grey and brown. It's rather beautiful when you look at it properly, but it is, mm. you know, not a brightly coloured bird. And it mm. spends its time on the ground, a long mm. time on the ground, just sort of hopping around um, rather um, shyly, it seems. 
Yes. And he, his, I think his take on that was that if only more of us were content to be, you know, uh, getting on very, you know, nicely with our sensible behaviour, then yes. the world would be a better place and be perhaps a bit more Christian. Yes. In his interpretation. And the kind of humble, humble, humble yes. bird. Yes, yes. And um, that, that was probably went, who knows, maybe that went down fine in the, <laughs> from the pulpit uh, at the time. Uh, but um, ecologists sort of studying uh, since then have uh, revealed that the Dunnock's private life is nothing like <laughs> right. the Victorian <laughs> Adil or, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the Reverend's Adil anyway. So they're really randy. Yeah. And yeah. Um, they're, you know, they're, they've got multiple partners. Yeah. And they are, you know, having a great time there. <laughs> so there's underneath all kinds of things going on that the Reverend wasn't aware of. He wasn't, he didn't quite observe closely enough, which is why an ecological education is so important <laughs> for the clergy. <laughs> for, and of course, for the clergy. In right. contrast to, so, you know, the other great. Um, he was the vicar at Selborne in Hampshire uh-huh. in the 1700s, and he kept a diary, um, which is very, very, you know, it's been, in, I think it's been, you know, been in print for, you know, ever since it was first put out. Yes. And it's, but it's basically him working out, you know, a vicar of a quiet parish with a lot of time working, you know, and a complete fascination with with wildlife, and then working out as an amateur scientist, sort of what's happening at a time when, mm. you know he was still unsure as to whether swallows um, migrated or whether they buried themselves in the sides of a pond for the winter. Yeah, you right, know, and, yeah. And uh, which birds were actually different species versus others. But he he observed very closely, and actually vicars have a, you mm. know, a, a long... Um, <laughs> there's a lineage, you know, of vicars yes. who have, you know, used, you know, uh, I suppose the, the, perhaps the, you know, the, the place, the time that they have, you know, in one place... Um, uh, you know, perhaps something to do with their temperament, but I don't know. Yes. But to observe and 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 further our knowledge of birds. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So that one, Reverend Morris got it wrong about the Dunnocks. Yeah. But I don't want but to taint the no. whole of the priesthood with, you know, lack <laughs> of <the> ecological. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. So one one kind of last question, I think, is that. Um, so I mentioned that that uh, well, I think I mentioned that I was interested in you know listening to these different birds uh on your website and then some of your your descriptions of them um which i thought were very good descriptions probably to do with your english and drama kind of background um and some of the metaphors you were kind of using or the yeah just the precision was really nice um and um and i suppose the the question that i want to ask is really about that kind of human bird relationship and what we as humans and it's 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 partly an anthropomorphizing kind of thing but maybe it's not as well um you know what we find in bird song so for instance i think you mentioned that the the blackbird um <clears throat> you know the the song of the blackbird blackbird the kind of more tuneful song of the blackbird because uh, i understand the blackbird makes lots of different, mm. as do many birds, many different songs and sounds. Um, but you described it as being, or it had been described as being um, uh, a sound which is almost <clears throat> most like the kind of a hum- uh, almost a human 
tone to mm. it. But I think then your own description of it was sort of, you know, it has a kind of mellow, mellowness to mm. it. Um, and it just struck me that that was interesting in, in the ways in which um, the sound of birdsong might resonate with humans in particular ways, I suppose. Mm. Um, I don't know what the, my question is out of that, mm. really, but... Um, mm. uh, I will, well, to, to begin, I just one thing is that, you know, for me, that was a penny drop, a penny drop moment for me was mm. that, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, I'm, I'm sitting between, I want to give accurate, factual information about the birds. I refer, you know, very often to the British Trust for Ornithology, um, you know, which is an organisation which I've been a member of for a long time and is, you know, a, a, an amateur scientist organisation yeah. that has really, really good, in, you know, information about birds. And I, you know, I, you know, uh, I, I very much sort of make sure I've sort of cross-referenced mm. my information about birds, like how many of them there are and, mm. you know, what they eat and how many broods they have, how, how long, you know, all that sort of stuff. Because yeah. I don't, I, you know, I want to give accurate information. Uh, that's important. And there's a side to it, which is mm. the, you know, which is the creative side to it, which is mm. what does it sound, how, what does it sound like to you? Yeah. You know, and I try and avoid the, you know, because it's very easy to say robins are. Right. You know. Yeah. Robins are philosophical. Well, yeah. clearly, yeah. they're not. Yeah. They're brutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they poke each other's eyes out. They're horrible. <laughs> uh, but they sound, to my ear, philosophical or yes. thoughtful. That's a, perhaps a, a better yeah. word for it. Um, and, and, that's, and other people find that a helpful way of thinking about it. Too. Yes. Yeah, um, and and some of these, are, and again, I, you know, due, uh, you know, credit where it's due. Sometimes I know very specifically who came up with a particular idea. Like um, there's a guy called Dominic Cousins, who's a fantastic nature guide, who came up with uh, um, how to tell a missile thrush from a blackbird from a song thrush, and he compares them to okay. teachers, which okay. is great. And says the yeah. blackbird's a great teacher because it's quite slow. Yeah. We'll say mellow, but it's you know quite slow and gives the students time to write down what it's saying okay. uh, the song thrush is also a good teacher very different style because it repeats yeah. everything right before, and then it has a pause before it moves on okay so it's like repeat repeats everything got that right now i'm doing something else yes the missile thrush is a rubbish teacher <laughs> because it's just you know it just goes too quickly and then doesn't give you enough time to write it down yeah so he i i think he came up with that I yeah mean, that's where i heard it that, that he had and that's brilliant and i just like i can't you know can't, I'd love to just pass that on yeah. with, with the credit, you know. Yeah. And there are things that where, where we we've just sort of I've absorbed that this is the way. Um, squeaky bicycle pump. I was going to mention that. That was I, that was on your website as well. So yeah, go on. Tell me what that. Great tit sounds like a squeaky bicycle pump. Okay. It really does. You yes. know, The typical sound, not the doing a Home Alone. Yeah. One. Yeah. Many many variations that it can do. But the typical sound, which they all seem to do, you know, quite frequently, yes. is, a, is is just sounds, <laughs> yeah. you know, it really does. So, um, you know, I don't know who first said that, you know, and I'd love to give them the credit. But um, yeah. anyway, someone did. Um, the thing that where I'd love to get to, and again, it's this is this is a kind of a, you know, a it's absolutely fine for you to say what you think that bird sounds like, mm. because you know, you're not saying it therefore is a goodie or yeah. a baddie or it's grumpy or it's whatever. It's just how it appears to you. And 
And I say, uh, the, the, there's, there's just a pleasure in thinking about that for me, but there's also then the utility in, oh, I'm hearing a grumpy bird, yeah. so maybe it's a missile thrush, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's a way of remembering, it's of a way identifying. Of remembering. Absolutely, and there's yeah. lots of different, and that's the way, again, the, the pedagogy, I guess, is there are yeah. a number of ways, and some ways work better for other people. Yeah. So sheer repetition is really, <clears throat> really important, of course. But then there's also the, literally, can you, mm. could you, write the notes, you know, and see if it's going up or down. Mm. Um, you know, sometimes that's the key. Mm. Other times it's the, it just feels like the thoughtfulness, the trailing off of the robin, mm. you know, that just, mm. that's the giveaway for, for, for me and a lot of other people. So there is just the, yeah, it's a, so, so there's the, you know, without anthropomorphizing those uh, creatures, you are uh, allowing yourself to tell a story yes. that helps you to connect yeah. with what that is. Um, and then lots of other things can flow from there, um, but 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 also encouraging people to you know I, I'm conscious I am quite obsessive and I've been doing it a long time so I have had time and I, and, I, and I'm writing these things and putting these weekly emails out and doing yeah. a course so I'm trying to find something that that will connect in a different way or whatever with people so so I'm conscious that I'm probably going to be doing it more than than, than most people yeah but yeah. I'm also I am really interested in it when when students come up with things that. They hear. Yeah. That's something I'd like to get better at. It's really encouraging that sort of leap for people, people to take their own, yeah. you know, make their own leaps. And um, someone described a Robin sound to me last year as sound, or the, the, the contact call as, I might have put it on that page that you read, I okay. don't know if I did, as sounding like two glass beads tapped okay. together. Right. And that, yeah. you know, as soon as they said that, I said, that's perfect, perfect yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's just perfect. I'm not sure if anyone said that before or whether they came up with it, but I've started, you know, yeah. using that as a really, really um, helpful yeah. way to remember. So th- there's that kind of tool, certainly, you know, using that in many different ways, but one as a, as a tool of identification or no- noticing similarities or noticing, yeah, I, I guess, I guess it's part of, you know, attuning your ear to hear, as we've been talking about. Um but there's also, it struck me, there's also kind of um, potentially a, a kind of emotional and experiential aspect to it as well. Um, from the point of view of, you know, m- you know, maybe someone's going through something particularly difficult at one time and they, they hear you know, the, the song of a nightingale or a blackbird or something like that, 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 that lifts, really does lift, your, your spirit in a particular mm. way, um, as well as the kind of, for me, I think, you know, I mean, I remember, for instance, that, that kind of like historic experience as well. My grandma's garden, like chaffinches used to, used to be, and all kinds of interesting birds used to come to my grandma's garden. And she was, you know, she loved birds and she was fascinated in them. Um, and there is also that sense in which you know you hear a, a the sound of a bird um it may be a very common bird but it, it evokes a certain memory for you of, of, of kind of your, your experience of childhood mm. but the flip side of that as well is is and i picked this up from your website a little bit is that that some birds that you don't hear mm. anymore or you don't hear so much anymore mm. and there's that kind of the the sadness of that as well, I suppose. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, there's a, a word 
um, which uh, I can't remember. Someone a few years ago introduced to me Solastalgia. Oh, okay. Um, um, which is I'm terrible with my definitions of things, but it's the it's the loss of a pl- place. And so this is interesting because I don't know if there's a word that refers to the sound specifically, but the idea that you are walking in a, you know, Ed, uh, Ed, Edward Leopold, was it, who talked about the Sand, Con- Sand County Almanac mm. author, talked about, you know, to be aware of what's happening in the world is to, is to walk in a, a world of wounds. Okay, sure. And, you know, and I know that that, that that resonates with a lot of people who feel... Why isn't everyone just running around saying emergency? You know, yeah. why isn't why aren't we doing something? Why aren't we acting, behaving as though it is an emergency? Yeah. And to, to 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 be keyed into that is to walk alone in a world of wounds. Um, for me, the bird that, that that typifies that exactly what you said about the garden, you mm. know, versus that is the turtle dove. Okay, and yeah. the turtle dove sound is so. It's like the warmest bird sound you can imagine. It's this purr. Yeah. It does sound, maybe it doesn't, sound, it doesn't really sound like a cat, but it just sounds like this, you know, for me it's like the spirit of like a warm, yes. late, they only arrive quite late in the springs. So you'll never hear one on a very cold day. Yeah. And they only arrive when there's lots of leaves on the trees because they like to bury themselves away in a, you know, a willow or something. Mm. And I... The reason it come, the reason it just ha- occupies this particular place in my experience is because I didn't know what it was for a long time. Yeah. Growing up, I don't remember seeing them. The, you know, they are quite tricky to see. They'll often just disappear off, and you think, "Oh, is that a wood pigeon or something?" I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you hear the sound, but you can't see the bird making the sound, and so you might even wonder whether it's a bird. It's a, it's, but it's a, it's a, it's a lazy. It's like darling buds of May. Sort yeah. Of, you know, which is the area of Kent that I grew up in, you know, that sort of H.E. Bates, you know, verdant greenery and the nightingales <laughs> and the turtle doves. And, and yeah, yeah. I, I didn't hear one last year. Yeah. At all, mm. at all. And they were a common bird in, in the 1980s. They were still very common. Yeah. Um, and so to hear one now, and I have heard one, you know, I did hear one the year before last. You know, I, I was delighted to hear one, um, and it is a very strange um, little kind of yeah mixed. I guess just a mixed emotion of there's that. Yeah. I'm so glad to hear that. <clears throat> you know, I'm oh that's just so good, and then very quickly, whoa, that's why is this such a you know, why is this now something that becomes a, yeah. a you know, wow, I've heard a turtle dove rather yeah. than, oh, it's a turtle dove again. There's another one, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And, and weirdly, there's this sort of counter. I think this is part of the discomfort for a birder, someone who has, you know, um, sort of very much um, certainly seen the appeal of the novelty, seen the appeal of the, the strange. You yeah. Know, in in this uh, activity, you go after the things that are unusual. Something weird gets blown off course. Probably going to die, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. well, I've seen it, yeah. you know. And 
and you know I sort of had this weird almost like you know perverse sort of maybe maybe the really extreme twitchers you know the people who travel for a long way maybe they even like pumping out more into the atmosphere because <laughs> the weather's going to be even weirder and right. some birds are going to be even rarer I mean of course yeah you know it's just I'm just sort of you know having this ridiculous thoughts but it's just the 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 yeah the idea of of the the rarity now of something formerly common yeah you know yeah is yeah it's hard it's yeah really hard yeah um and it's something that you have with experience i don't suppose i could have had that experience an embodied experience yeah. i have no read about you know uh, a wryneck yeah which again we would have been a common bird um and i know you know grew up and they just weren't yeah, just they've, they've been extinct as a breeding bird for a long time. Yeah, and I would have intellectually understood that. Yeah, but I didn't have the felt, you know, as we yeah. were speaking about. I remember that from the garden. Yeah, when I was ten. Yeah, um, and now I've never now yeah. I never hear it, or now I've now when I hear it, it's just this absolute mind blowing experience. Yeah, um, now I have that. I have that in my uh, inventory of human experience. Yeah, and those associations are never. They're never disentangled from the the circumstances of the situation that you're in. So, in terms of talking about our grandparents or our grandmas, or you know that that, and even your description of the turtle dove, your turtle dove description of turtle dove is a surprisingly accurate description of my my grandma. <laughs> you know, so there's there, there's kind of you know the ways in which these things are um, kind of uh, interwoven with a with an experienced past, but a, a past that is is no more or mm. is potentially. In a, and so, yeah, the kind of, I guess, uh, I'm kind of signaling the emotional aspects of of those kind of experiences mm. and, you know, of things which are potentially moving out of the world, you know, mm. if, 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 another, if these species, you know, if a species becomes extinct or, you know, that sound not being heard again mm. Um, mm. and and now you mention that I mean I've become very conscious of like yeah my other feelings towards that you know that time in, in my life where you know I, I think of you know I could walk up we were very lucky we had this garden that was on a few different levels mm. you go up the hill and um, then behind that there were some playing fields and then behind that there were some the allotments mm. and then orchards and so you could walk, you know, you could just go out. And, and as kids, we, we, we just, you know, we went out to play, you know, uh, I lived next door to a pub and my friends were often deposited at the pub, you know, by yes. their parents. And then we would just go for the day, or for, I don't know, hours and hours. And there was a, free, you know, there, I mean, if I'm thinking of like, what does freedom feel like? Yeah. I think my mind goes, you know, to that wow. sort of, yeah. you know, that's that sort of like, I just, where should we go? We go in any direction, you know, and yeah. We don't know, you know, one day, every day will be different. And uh, and I, I think, yeah, that sort of abundance of that and then a sound of the turtle dove, you know, mm. um, and the lusciousness of that, all of that, the, the, the fruit growing, you know, in that, that all, that's all there. Yes. And the first time I read the H.E. Bates as well. Oh, OK. About it as well. Right. Read it as a 12 year old or something like that, I imagine. And that whole world of, you know, it's a... 
Uh, it's a bit funny reading it back now. I don't know if you've read any. I, know, I haven't. No. No. It's um, it's of its time. Okay. Uh, let's let's be polite. <laughs> you know, but um, but it it's just so kind of like it's so naughty, you know, and so and so that sort of yeah that sense of like, oh, you know, what are we going to do and what's going to happen and yeah um, yeah, do what you want, you know, do what you want and and how um. That's a time that, that that's 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 particular to a I think to a particular time in yeah. your life when, yeah. when 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 things can be aren't all, of course they're not always like that for lots of people but they can they they might be like that for some people yes and um, you know I know that my own kids don't have not only do they not have the turtle doves to listen to but they don't have that uh, that lassitude as well mm. so they 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 wouldn't walk from the door you know. And go into the countryside from where we are yeah you know yeah they just wouldn't no um so that's another dimension to it that is probably there without me necessarily yes yeah conscious of it i'm aware that i've probably taken too much of your time not but, at all uh, okay. no, no, so i think we could carry on talking for ages and maybe we will continue conversation another time but uh, yeah, thank you so much for it's a pleasure. Yeah.